let's let's dive back into Mark. It's my real joy this morning to to be able to to continue our series, and we're in Mark chapter seven, as Karen read, and. Let's dive in and let's let the word of God uh, impact us by the power of the Holy Spirit as he always does. So uh, my dad was a was a, a head teacher, a principal for most of his adult life. He taught at a number of schools in the country. And he, he had a reputation for being a, the sort of teacher that was really, really particular about how people dressed. And so he'd always walk around the school saying things like, hey, make sure your tie is up tuck your shirt in, pull your socks up, make sure your hat is in the right way. And at, at one of his schools, he even developed the nickname, Mr. Tuck Your Shirt In. And so kids used to refer to him as Mr. Tuck Your Shirt In because he just used to say that all the time to them. And he, he had cottoned on to this fact because he's smart. And uh, he, he decided to do assembly the one day with his shirt intentionally untucked. So he got up in front of the whole school looking scruffy. And as he's delivering this message, you can just imagine these kids. It was a primary school. And they're all looking around thinking like, well, Mr. Tuck your shirt in. Doesn't have a shirt tucked in. What's this all about? And obviously he sees these guys wide-eyed, muttering. And he, he uses that moment as a mirror. So he pauses. And then he uses that time to make a point to them about their own appearance. And in, in this passage, we see Jesus doing something a little bit like that. He, he's He's breaking the rules that the Pharisees have set, not God's rules, the rules that the Pharisees have set. And so they're looking at this guy teaching in front of everyone, and they're thinking, he's, he's breaking the rules. What is he doing? And Jesus uses that this moment to pause and, and puts up a mirror and says, hey, like, let's look at your own hearts in light of this apparent breaking of the, of the rules that you think is happening. So Jesus is making a point in this passage, and he's giving us some pretty stern warnings. And he's giving us, uh, he's, I'll just give you the, the main point here. He's, he's giving us a warning about how, just how dangerous hollow and empty worship can be. Just how dangerous empty religion can be and, and how much you and I need his help. And, and when I say hollow religion, this is what I mean. I mean when we have this wonderfully beautiful outward appearance, but actually that that's just a shell. And beneath that, there isn't a substance. There isn't this... This isn't a love for God that drives outward action. It's just a shell. There's nothing beneath that. And we need to think of hollow religion as a, as a Trojan horse. And I, I think that's probably an image familiar to most of us. It, it, it looks beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, it's actually deadly. And in this passage, that's what Jesus does. He gives us, as you can see some points here on the slide, two ways that our worship can be hollow. Two ways that we know that might, we might be participating in this, a similar sort of worship as the Pharisees. And he also gives us a warning about the state of our hearts. So that's what we're going to unpack as we walk through these verses today. So let's look at the first one. A first sign of hollow worship is when we put tradition as greater than God's word. Now, there's a bit of context that I need to explain here because it seems a bit, as you read it, that Jesus is having a real overreaction to what these Pharisees are doing. So they, they come to him with quite a simple question. They say, Jesus, why is it that your disciples don't wash their hands like the rest of us? They come to eat. Um, they don't wash their hands. We've got this tradition that the elders have passed down. It's just what you do. You wash your hands before you eat. Probably very important to note here that uh, that uh, they're not worried about hygiene. 
They're not thinking, oh, Jesus, what if your disciples like, get all the bacteria in their mouths and they're sick and then you've got a bunch of sick disciples following you around, spreading all your illness around uh, Samaria and Judea, the ends of the earth. The Great Commission is just everyone getting sick. They're not worried about hygiene. They're worried about being ritually pure. So especially if we're living in a COVID world, Jesus is really not opposed to you washing your hands. Don't let that be the takeaway from this message. So they come to him with this question about hand washing and Jesus comes after them with this really damning response. He quotes Isaiah and he says, guys, your worship is vain. Your worship is useless. Uh, you, you honor me with your lips. You say the right things, but actually you're, you're miles away from me in your hearts. And Jesus is not just infuriated about a single question. He's coming after the system of religion that had pushed people's hearts away from the love of God. That's what gets him riled up with this question. And here's the context behind this. Is at the time, the Pharisees and the scribes were leaders of a way of following God that put tradition as more authoritative than God's word. And so what happened over time was that they would look at the Old Testament, these leaders, and they would take a law that God had said, and then to try to protect that law, so the intention initially was quite good. They would, try, they would put a tradition or a fence around that law. And now culturally over time, what developed was that it became as important to obey the tradition as it was to obey God's word. And so they had God's, God's law, a fence around it, and then another fence, and then another fence, and another fence. And so bit by bit, these traditions had actually moved people away from, this, from the centrality of God's word. And so tradition became as important, if not more important, than God's word. So they built these fences and sometimes like... <laughs> Joburg houses you, you drive uh, through some areas of the city, that the wall is so high and so arbitrarily far from the property it's trying to protect, you actually don't have a clue what that fence or what that tradition is trying to protect anymore. That's the sort of place that the Pharisees got to with the law. Tradition, 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 and they can't even see what God's initial intention was. And even worse than that, we see this example of Korban that Karen read, so verses 9 to 13. They didn't just put tradition on par with God's word. They even used tradition to go against God's word. So Korban, we don't use this term anymore, so I'm just going to explain it quickly, was the idea of a, a deferred gift to God. So you could say, God, you're so great. Everything I own is yours. Every, everything I own, every ram, every cent, it's yours, God, but it's yours when I die. So that was, that was Korban. You could give God everything you had, but only when you weren't here anymore. And so the, the loophole in that tradition was that you could continue to use your wealth on yourself. But if people like your needy mum and dad or someone you meet out on the streets or at work, wherever, says, hey, actually, I, I also need clothes. I also need food. I also need um, help from you. You could say, sorry, sorry, God, I, I'd love to help you. Mum, I know you're sick. I'd love to help you, but I can't. I just can't because... I've given all my stuff to God. And so, ironically, in the name of holiness, in the name of, of, of appearing holy, you could flat out disobey God's commandment to honor your mom and your dad. So that's the sort of context that Jesus is speaking against. Tradition is on par, if not more, authoritative than God's word. And some of these traditions that have developed actually were contradictory to God's word. So that's why Jesus comes with this response saying, guys, your worship is not, it's not good. It's useless. It's vain. Your hearts are far from me. Tradition was the enemy of God's word. So when they ask him about hand washing, he comes after them because that's not one of God's commandments. That's a man-made tradition. 
that's been handed down. And that's why he says to them again, hey, your worship is vain. And, but then we've always got to ask ourselves, when you, when you read about the Pharisees, you, <laughs> we've always got to recognize that there's, there's always a little Pharisee living in us. Because it's so easy for us to look at these Pharisees, and I do this all the time, where you look at Israel in the Old Testament, and you think to yourself, man, these guys are, these guys are morons, man. Like, they, they, they never follow God. He's always coming through for them. He's always doing good stuff. They, like, why don't they just get following God? And as I, as I prepared this, I just, I just felt God show me again and again how there's, there's, a, there's a bridge between the Pharisees heart and, and, and my heart and your heart because we are just as prone to take tradition to take our ways of doing things and to make them either on par with god's word or even go against god's word and we might be saying you might be thinking as i say that well i don't do that of course i don't do that like the bible is my standard that's how i live my life but it's probably because you and i don't talk about traditions in that sense anymore but if you think about culture if you think about um, the culture in the city, the culture in our church, the culture you have as an individual in your family and your relationships, you have ways of doing things that are unquestionable. You think this is just how, this is how the Channons do it. This is how Joe Burgers do it. This is how people at Parkers do it. This is just how we do things. And we need to ask ourselves always, is that God's way of doing things? Because if it isn't, Jesus is going to confront us with these words and say, you, oh, you've got a fine way of leaving the commandment of God to hold to your traditions. It's a, it's a really stern warning. And I mean, I, I could unpack a ton of cultural sins. And I think uh, it's worth us really pausing and thinking about that when you have time to think, hey, does, does what I read in the Bible measure up to, is that, is that what I live by or is the culture what I live by? And, but I just want to unpack just two that I think floated to the surface for me uh, this week as I was preparing two maybe uh, cultural sins that, that, that we might be struggling with as a church. And, and the first one is this, and Doug, there should be a slide for it. It's this, that, that Jesus is interesting, not that Jesus is authoritative. And I think that's, that's something we, we are so prone to, to believe. And I want to use an example that uh, I'm going to hijack from a theologian, a church planter called Francis Chan, who does a he writes a number of very good books. And he, he uses this example. He says, imagine you spoke to your kids and you said, all right, guys, uh, dishes are dirty. I want you all to, to go, go ahead and wash the dishes. And uh, they go off and they come back in half an hour. And he's like, okay, guys, tell me how it went. And they say, oh, dad, <laughs> boy, we got together with our friends. We got out the Greek. We even looked into the Greek. What does it mean to wash? What, is, what, is, what does washing mean? We looked, at the, we looked at the Hebrew, what does, what does dishes mean? And we just spoke about it and we, and we thought about all oh, the depth and the beauty of washing dishes. We even, someone whipped out a guitar. We started singing, oh, to wash the dishes, I'll wash the dishes in every house in the, on the planet. And he says, well, hold on, but are the dishes washed? And he said, no, but we thought about it. And that, so much of our church culture is like that. Is, is Jesus is really interesting. And we can listen to a podcast, we can listen to a sermon, we can get worship where we're proclaiming how faithful we are to God. But actually the dishes stay unwashed a lot of the time. Because, because Jesus is, is, is compelling, but he's not authoritative. 
And I really want to want to challenge that this morning because when Jesus speaks, he's not just interesting. When Jesus speaks, he speaks as a king speaks. And his words are not just to be mulled over, but they're to be acted on. And if we fill our minds with, with, with the words of Jesus and with people talking about the words of Jesus, both of which are really, really good things, by the way, so please don't stop doing that. But if we fill our minds with those things and our response is, man, Jesus, that's, that's cool. That's so interesting. I'm glad some people do that. We've missed the boat. Because when he speaks, he's not asking for partial obedience, convenient obedience. He's asking for us to live and to act Otherwise, look at this verse from James. He says, you are deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. That's, that's, that's deceiving yourself. So church, I just want to remind us that if we, if we don't act when you read God's word, then Jesus will say this to us. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. Because Jesus is not just Interesting, he is a king who speaks with good authority. And that when he speaks, is to free us and to, set, and to give us life in him. It's not, his commandments are not burdensome, is what John writes in, in, in 1 John, I want to say. Five, maybe if someone finds that scripture, you can pop it in the chat. Jesus' commandments are not burdensome. So that's, that's one for us to, to be thinking about. Another one, uh, and there should be a slide here, is, is, a, is a preference for similarity. I think this is so prevalent in Joburg. And I can see different ways sometimes how, how it leaks into my life and into our life as a community. In James chapter 2, James is writing about the church community that, that has people who are both rich and people who aren't rich. And he says, my brothers, show no partiality. In other words, no favoritism as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And, and James makes a huge point there. He says, hey, if someone comes in in a nice car and they dress fancy and you say, oh, brother, let, like, let, come in, let me honor you. Here's the nice seat. And then someone comes in dressed in rags and you sort of ignore them and think, oh, let me just let me favor the person who, who looks a bit more like me. That, 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 that's not just not kind, that's sinful. And I, and I want to say that I'm, a, I'm amazed by my ability and, and maybe even yours to, to only see people who look like me. I have been so conditioned by Jobo culture to only look at people who I think, oh, thanks, Zama, for there's the, John, the, the one John passage I was talking about. I've been so conditioned to, to, to avert my gaze from people who make me feel uncomfortable, people who might, might require something of me and think someone else will befriend them, someone else will honor them, someone else will love them and serve them. And I really want to challenge that and say, especially in the church, Especially when we have people who share our faith in Jesus and who are therefore not just friends of ours, but, but blood relatives of ours by Jesus. That, that if, we, if we honor and befriend people who look like us above them, that we've been influenced by culture, not by God. Particularly as you open up a passage like Matthew 25. Jesus is saying, I personally identify with the hungry, the naked, the imprisoned, the poor. That's where you find me particularly because the Jesus we worship spent time as a refugee as a child, particularly when the Jesus we worship says that he didn't even have a place to rest his head. We've got to, we've got to reckon with that stuff. Because if we favor people with wealth, but people without wealth, people who look like us are the people who don't look like us. We've come under culture's spell. We haven't allowed Jesus. We haven't allowed the spirit and power word of God to shape us. 
And again, we could unpack numerous others. But I also want to say this, that, that I didn't need to look further than my own heart to come up with these. I didn't look at others and think, oh, these, these Parkhurst people or oh, these Joe Burgers. Well, I just reflected on my own heart and thought, this doesn't, this doesn't look like God's word to me sometimes the way I act. And I, and I think Jesus is saying to us this morning, just allow yourself to be challenged by him. Allow the word of God to be what you measure culture against, not the other way around. Allow Jesus to challenge you. And it might, like these Pharisees, it might cut you to the core, but let him challenge you. And I want to encourage you with these words as well. If we look in, in Hebrews 12, I, I just love these passages. And whenever, whenever I hear hard words in the Bible, I just come back to this. Because often I'll read the Bible and I'll just feel like cut to the heart. And I think, man, I'm, <laughs> I'm nowhere. And, and then I read a passage like this and it says, well, what son is there whom his, his father doesn't discipline? If you're left without discipline, then you're illegitimate children and you're not sons. The fact that if you hear something like this this morning and you think, I'm seeing there's, there's a gap between where, like, where, where, what God calls me to do and what I'm doing or even what I want to do. That's, that's the kindness of God revealing that to you. It's God proving to you that you're his, you're his child. So it shouldn't be, conviction shouldn't be feared. It should be welcomed as a sign of God's unfailing love. Because he doesn't just love you enough to, to, to take your sin on a cross. He does. But he loves you enough now to stand and say, hey, 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 let's, let's change that. Because what that behavior enslaves you. That behavior doesn't set you free. That behavior doesn't honor or love or uh, yeah, well, doesn't show worship for God. He's standing before you to correct you, to lead you away from harmful and vain worship. And remember this, guys, that when you... When you listen to the words of God, when Jesus speaks, he speaks in love. And when he challenges you, he's coming to set you free. So the main point of this first section is just this. Let Jesus and the Holy Spirit through the Bible confront you. And let them confront your traditions and your ways of doing things. It's a sign of his love and it's a sign that he's coming to set you free. So that's, that's the first sign of, of hollow worship, when, when tradition is greater than God's word. And then the next one is this, that when our hearts and our lips are not aligned. And there's a, I, wanna, I just want to share a story with you, which, which makes me laugh every time I think about it. Uh, I, ha I have good friends. They happen to be at this church, but I'm going to, uh, and I've got the permission to share this, but I won't name them because it's, uh, <laughs> it's too good to... Uh, it's just, it's just too good. So they've got this picture from a really, really nice holiday they went on. It's this nice selfie, you know, beautiful looking couple smiling there. Now, if that's the only thing you saw, you would just think, oh, what a great holiday these guys had. Now, the husband explained to me the context behind the picture. So they were visiting this country and it had just been an absolute dog show. Like the holiday could not have been worse to that point. Um, <laughs> like there was, an, there was an attempted coup in the country to give you a sense of, it wasn't just like, oh, the, uh, you know, like the hotel, the bed was a single, not a double. Like there was an attempted coup. That's the sort of holiday they had. And yet there's this picture of them just smiling. And my mate told me that just before the picture, him and his wife were arguing. And he said to her, <laughs> he said to her, babe, change your attitude. And then there was this picture. 
So there's this lovely picture, but, but behind it, it's, the context is that, that it's just a lie, really. And in verse 6, Jesus, Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites. And he says, you spend so much time making that selfie look perfect. You, got, you, you made so much time making the outside look good. Look, you, look, think about what Kieran read in those first few verses. They're washing hands. They're washing cups, couches. They're bathing themselves after they come back from the market. But, but it's just a mask. It's not the reality. And they did that because they'd really, really come to believe that if the outside was clean, that if their lips said the right things, and if their hands were clean enough, then they'd be acceptable to God. And Jesus just cuts through that. And you look in verse 15 and verse 18, he says, it is the heart that is the most important thing. He says, nothing outside of you defiles you. It's what comes out of you that defiles you. It's not about the mask. It's not about your appearance. It's about what comes out of you. And, and I want to ask you, do you ever see that in yourself? Do you ever find yourself trying to speak right or appear right, arrive to church dressed right, uh, punctual enough, uh, that, that you appear right? You, you try to stand before God and say, but I went, I've been to church like 40 out of 52 Sundays a year. I am, I am hella committed to this thing. Like, God, I, I'm, I'm doing church. Or you think like when the guitar goes, when my hands are up, God, I'm like, people see me worship, but they know that I'm holy. Well, you think, God, I've told everyone about my Bible reading plans. I've told people that I'm going to pray for them in conversation. I've done all the right Christian things. And again, these are all good. These are all beautiful things. But if it's a mask, if it's just a selfie, but, but behind it, the context is, is empty, then Jesus might say this to you, that, hey, your, your heart is far from me. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far. Because Jesus is saying that he's looking at the heart. He's not looking at your masks. He's looking at your heart. But, but what do we do if we, if, we, if we see that in ourselves? Because like what I've just described happens to me twice a week. <laughs> you know, uh, there's, there's days I wake up and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm reading God's word and praying and, and, my, and I'm in it and my heart and my lips feel aligned. And there's days when I do it because it's what I did yesterday and I feel like it's the right thing to do. And sometimes my heart and my lips aren't aligned. What do you do if that's what the situation you find yourselves in? And, and as, I, as I was praying for you, church, I, I felt God give me this picture of, of an Easter egg. And it, it, it was hollow at first. But then God just came and injected this delicious caramel filling in until this egg was full of something special. And... I, just, I really felt God saying to me that he, he doesn't hold against you the fact that sometimes your heart and your lips aren't aligned, but what he wants from you is to be close. And I want to say to you today, if you feel like you need to be filled again with God's love, with this delicious like, caramel delight that God can give us, that God longs to do that for you. He's not resentful of it. He wants to fill you. And that filling is coming back to the core of our faith and coming back to the fact that, that Jesus did it all for you, that you don't, you don't earn Jesus by Bible reading. You don't earn him by arriving on time, dressed rightly, speaking rightly. He earns it for you. He loves you. He chose you. And you can't, you can't earn it. He does it. And so that, that filling, what, what fills a hollow heart, 
what gets lips and hearts aligned is coming back to the gospel. It's coming back to the most important thing that we could ever, ever know, this good news. That's what fills us, not, not by trying to do a bit more, trying to dress a bit more right, say the right thing. It's just saying, God, can I please have more of your spirit? And look in Romans 5, verse 5. This is such an important verse for me in my life. It just says that, it's that the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into our hearts. So Romans 5, verse 5. The Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into our hearts. And I think all God wants to do when we recognize in ourselves that we're a hollow egg is to say, God, can I have more of you, please? Again, Luke 11, when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he says, what father doesn't give good gifts to his kids? <laughs> you ask for something, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. So we know with more confidence than almost anything else that we can ask God for, that if we want the Holy Spirit to pour out his love into our hearts, that he longs to do that for us. And I will spend some time praying. I'll spend some time praying for you at the end of the sermon and then in, in groups as well at the end, if you want to stick around to be prayed for. Let's just ask God to do that. He loves to, loves to, loves to do that. And then our last point very quickly today is the final verses, verses 20 and 21, is Jesus just gives us an update on the states, the state of our hearts. And, and, and quite simply, it's not good. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a good update. Uh, look at verses 20 and 21. Uh, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. From, from within, out of the heart comes, and then he just goes for it. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, da-da-da. He just <laughs> hammers us with all the things that come out of us. He's saying, hey, your hearts are not right with God. And then that's how the teaching ends. That's it. <laughs> but I really want to just remind you how amazing Jesus is. That, that he doesn't leave us alone with our hearts in that state. And I want to bring you back to a passage Dave preached a few weeks ago from Mark chapter 5. Because Jesus is amazing. And even though our hearts don't start off automatically right with God, that Jesus makes us clean. That's, that is that caramel filling I'm talking about. That even though we're not, we're not clean before God automatically, Jesus makes us clean. Think of that passage from Mark 5, where there's the woman who's had the problem of blood for 12 years. In other words, she's physically isolated. She's physically decimated. And, and she's spiritually in exactly the same way. She makes people dirty as she touches them, ceremonially unclean. And yet she pushes through this crowd. She reaches out to touch Jesus. And what everyone is thinking is as she touches Jesus, he's going to be made sick. He's going to be made empty. He's going to be made impure. But exactly the opposite happens. When she reaches out to Jesus, she's made clean. She's made well. She's made whole. When we reach out to Jesus, he gives us free grace that we can't deserve. He's the one who cleans our hearts, gives us new life and friendship and unity with God. And even though our hearts aren't clean, Jesus makes us clean. And as we close, I, I just want to acknowledge that this is not an easy passage to preach. Uh, it's not one of those, like, all right, like, everyone, this is a really encouraging message. It's all like, go on, go out, storm the hill. These are hard words from Jesus. These are really, really hard words from Jesus. But, but if any of us, if any of us were walking along Jan Smuts or William Nickel, wherever, and, and, we, and we saw a, a child 
looking for their parents and about to wander into the road. No, no, there wouldn't be a single one of you here that wouldn't shout for that kid. Every one of you, something inside you would say, whoa, whoa, stop. And that shout might startle that child, but it would rescue that child. And, and, and passages like this where Jesus has stern words for us are the same for us. He comes with the heart of a father, the heart of a brother that's looking out for us. And the volume might startle you, but it rescues you. So if, you hear, if you hear conviction this morning around the, just where you find your heart to be and you feel like you're wearing a mask, if you feel like you've put your own ways of doing things, culture's ways of doing things above God's word, hear the, the elevated voice of Jesus warning you and rescuing you out of what's going to hurt you. God is calling us out of that to love him and honor him above our traditions, to love him with fullness, with this delicious caramel gospel fullness. And as I said, if you're hearing a challenge today, let's pray. God loves to fill you. God loves to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and I trust that he can do that even now. Not because we're special, but because he's faithful. So let, let me pray for us. And then we'll, uh, we'll go and see some breakout rooms after that. But yeah, let's, let, let's just pray. Let's bring our hearts before God and ask him for his help. Yeah, Jesus, we, we love you. That's the first thing I want to say is we love you. You are amazing. Thank you that when we reach out to you, we find that actually you've, you've been the one who's made all the movement to us first. Thank you that you make us clean and whole and, and healthy. And you, you, yeah, you bring health to our hearts and our relationship with you. And I pray, God, that, that the way you have brought conviction today that we would feel that with fullness, but we would, we would feel the fullness of, of the love of God. That we wouldn't leave feeling uh, battered by your words. We would leave feeling like, oh, Jesus, thank you so much for showing me that. Thank you so much for setting me free in a new area of my life, for calling me into deeper love and delight in you in, in different ways. And I pray for, for my own heart and our hearts here, God, that, that where we feel hollow, you would inject the gospel into us. We would just be filled with an understanding of the fact that your God loves me. Come pick us up and swing us around in your arms and delight us as your kids. And let that be the foundation for everything we do, God. And even if for some of us, if our actions don't necessarily change, if we, you know, if we keep coming to church and we keep reading the Bible and praying and asking for you to, to mold us into your image and we, and we obey you, let, let that be done with a heart that is full of the love of God, rooted and established in the love and grace of Jesus. Let that be what you do in us, Holy Spirit, right now come and fill us. And we need you. And we love you. In your name, Jesus.